1: My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Kate Clonch. It's June eighth, 2022. We're at the Nicholson Library at Linfield University. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, And the first question to get us started is, why wine?
2: Well, it's fun. Uh, (laughs) I was working in restaurants all through college to just make money, and I was bartending at night, and it just seemed like a really fun thing. And I'd always, you know, look at the Psalms or people who are selling wine, and I'd be like, they make money to sell wine, like I want to be that guy. So I think that was a big part of it but um, I also grew up in Europe and it was a really big part of my family so I think I was immediately attracted to it just because it really combines like history, culture, science, art, all those beautiful things that were really entangled into my childhood so It just kind of made sense going into school. I didn't know for a few years until, like a few years into university that I wanted to study wine. I started off as a nursing major and I had to watch a live C-section and I almost passed out. So I marched straight to the dean's office and I was like, I like food, I like other things. What can you give me right now? And they brought up sustainable foods and bioenergy. So that kind of got me just into the more holistic approach of life, agriculture, and then later it tied into wine.
1: So let's back up for a second before we get into that more. You mentioned growing up in Europe. Tell me about kind of where you were born, uh, where you grew up, and and what what prompted you to go to the school you did?
2: I was born in Oklahoma, but I moved to Europe when I was six months old. Uh, My father's in the military, and my biological mother is Italian. Um, I just grew up kind of bouncing around Germany, England, and Italy. I came back to the states for a few years and I was a bit younger, but then I didn't really fully live into the states, live in the states until I turned 18 and went to Montana State University. I just went there because I had some family there and I knew I could get in state residency and I didn't really know where else to go.
1: So once you've turned your focus away from nursing and towards, as you you mentioned, sort of sustainable um, food and, and, and drink. What were you thinking at that point in terms of potential futures with that? Uh, as you started to kind of learn about that, did it open up doors for you as you were looking at your future?
2: I really had no idea. I think I just picked a degree that had all the right words that sounded like I could get a job after college. Sustainable, foods, bioenergy, those are three great um, like keywords. So my parents always told me to go into something more water, resources, or energy. So I was just kind of thinking, like, let's just get myself set up, and I can figure the rest out later. But as I went through the degree, I realized I really loved food and cooking and traveling. And it made me more interested in my restaurant job, because initially the restaurant was just to make money. I mean, serving is easy money. It's enough to get by. And then I was more interested in learning how to cook and like working more with the chefs and just seeing what they were doing. And then I thought maybe I wanted to go to culinary school, but I definitely don't have the backbone for that. I can't handle getting yelled at. So (laughs) Um, I thought, well, maybe front of house is for me just because it's easier to build relationships with people from my background. It's easy to connect with others from around the world. Like I think growing up in Europe helped me be really open-minded and really open to others from a young age. So it just seemed to fit more. I don't know if that answered your question.
1: Absolutely, it did. Uh, as, as you got into those studies, um, what intrigued you about, about what you were learning? Uh, and um, what, kind of, like, you know, what kind of doors did it open for you?
2: Hmm. I just remember being really intrigued by the idea of soil science in general. I remember the first thing that really kicked it off for me was going to Morocco. I went there for six weeks. Uh, my junior year of college during the summer and we worked on doing soil analysis with farmers to trying to determine like what they should plant in these regions to get a higher yield and more crop because they weren't exactly planting the right things and there were these really rural communities up in the high atlas mountains that were having a really hard time getting a substantial food source so I think that was the initial thing was looking more into food insecurity and soils I don't really know. It was all really interesting. I think I was just really confused. Um, If I'm being totally transparent and honest about how I got into wine, it's not like the beautiful, whimsical way that a lot of people get into wine. Mine was a breakup. I went through a really awful breakup my junior year of college and I felt really lost. I had no idea what I was going to do with my degree. was just feeling like I just need something to focus on and to learn about and make myself better at something. Like I just need a thing So I started studying wine and I just needed a goal for myself to pull myself out of a really dark place. So I was like, I'm gonna sit the level one sommelier exam. This is when I was 21 and having that goal in mind and something to keep pushing for and learn about really helped. Mm -hmm. I know that wasn't your exact question, but I didn't really have that traditional route into wine where I was like, I wanna be outside and I love the grapevines. Like that really wasn't me, it was actually just a really non-traditional classic kid breakup and working in restaurants. It just kind of all came together at once like I just needed a push to get out of a place I was in and to get into a better place.
1: As you started to learn about wine then um, what did you find was sort of most appealing about the education process for yourself? Were you more excited about was it the wines? Was it the regions? Was it the, the climates? Was it the people? Like, What kind of excited you about it? And uh, what sort of prompted you to continue your education?
2: It was everything. It felt like being connected more to my childhood. Like, I really missed Europe when I was living in Montana and my family was still living in Europe, so it kind of felt like a way to really understand more deeply the places where I grew up and the people I grew up around, the food. It just made me feel more connected to myself because I've always felt a bit like a black sheep, like just very confused on who I am, what I'm doing. I don't really identify with one place. So I think studying wine just helped me dive into my past Mm -hmm. and figure out where I'm going. It just is a really attractive topic because if you haven't traveled, it's a way for you to travel and really learn more about that world. And then you can go there and feel more confident as a young person being there. And then for someone who's maybe been to some of these places, it was just a transport home to a more comfortable side of things.
1: So tell me about the first, the, going over the first psalm, um, uh, the, the level one Um What was the process like for you, and, and what did you do after it?
2: I remember being so nervous and thinking it was such a big deal. And now when I look back, I'm like, it doesn't mean that much. I think it's more noble to just study for something and not be chasing a pin. I, um, I really just self-studied. I get a lot of people that ask me this, how to, you know, go about W Step 2 and 3 and the level 1 psalm exam or certified. I think you just have to take it upon yourself to kind of, not become a hermit, but a little bit of a hermit for like a year, and you just have to read and learn for yourself. And then once you have that really strong base of theory, you can come out of that and really apply that to your relationships and the floor. But I think it's just a lot of reading. I just read a lot of wine books. I made a lot of index cards wrote down everything I could, took pictures of every single bottle I drank, just tried to focus inward. But I think it's just a lot of solo time. You just have to sacrifice a little bit just to learn for yourself.
1: So what did you do next?
2: Then I graduated from university, got my undergraduate degree, and I immediately started working at a place called the Yellowstone Club in Big Sky, Montana. It's a, um, it's a private billionaire ski resort. I was very lucky. Someone gave me the opportunity to work there at a very young age and I'm forever thankful for this person. Um, you know, it's hard being a, I hate to say it, but a female graduate at 22 looking for a sommelier job. Like, no one's going to take you seriously. I shouldn't have been taken seriously. I, I, didn't do, I didn't know anything and I still don't know anything now. Maybe a little bit more. But I immediately started working there. I was an assistant sommelier. So I was, assistant sommelier is a really nice word for a seller rat. Um, I basically spent months breaking down boxes and doing inventory and learning under the lead sommelier. I remember being so unhappy during this time like I just want to work the floor, I just want to go talk to people. But now when I look back it was great because it gave me a lot of time again to be alone and like learn the cellar and be alone with all the bottles and I'd go home and I'd just Google everything every night and I think it was a great experience for me and then a few months later I passed the certified sommelier exam Mind you, I did fail it the first time I took it, so there's no shame in failing that exam. Um, I failed it once, a lot of crying, a lot of drama. Then I went back three months later and I took it again. and I passed it, and shockingly enough, I was awarded the Walter Klor Scholarship for top score, so if I had to go back, I wouldn't change it. I think failing it was the best thing that ever happened to me in wine, because my ego was just massive. You know, you come out of college and you're like swinging like, I have a cool wine job, like I'm really doing the thing, but. Heck yeah, I needed to fail that exam, that was awesome. (laughs) I wouldn't change it. Um, I think I've gone off on a tangent. Anyways, then I just continued to work at the Yellowstone Club for some time. I was promoted to sommelier and then lead sommelier, and I just worked there for a few years until I decided to go do my master's degree in Italy. I just kind of went straight to work.
1: Straight to work, so before we get to Italy, Tell me about the, 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 per, the progression of things for you at the, at the club. You mentioned kind of Seller Rat all the way up to sort of lead SOM. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the steps for you uh, in terms of knowledge needed and, and sort of confidence needed? And then what were the roles like as you were progressing up there?
2: I think that confidence comes with knowledge, but it's not even with knowledge. I think just um, the self-discipline for me. I was always really insecure and not confident. And I think through studying for myself, that built confidence within me. Like, even if you don't know a lot, you're putting in that work for yourself to learn and better yourself. And I think that brings confidence later. Like, no one can fault you for trying. I was just trying my best and trying to learn. And I think that's all you can ask of someone. So I was really insecure at first. I was really shy. And then I kind of wanted to stay in the cellar. But once I started working the floor, this side of me came to life that I'd never seen before. Like, I'd always been insecure, but then when I'm on the floor, when you work as a sommelier and you're kind of in charge of the room and talking to people, this like whole different side of you comes out. It's this confidence I'd never had before, like knowing that I'm in control of what is happening at the table. And people are coming to me asking for things. And it's the whole service is a dialogue thing, right? It's not a monologue, it's just, having a conversation with someone, them trusting you over time by you not ripping them off. You're just being really transparent, really honest, and you build trust with these customers, and then you sell more wine this way. So I think the first step was just making friends with all the members at the club, studying for myself, and just building that trust over time, and then you're just building really strong relationships with them that just keep giving back to you, and that was a really good way for me to move up, and I think that's why I progressed is just ability to make people feel comfortable. Mm-hmm.
1: Tell me about the the wines you were working with at this point and, and how you were figuring out sort of pairing people and wines at this point.
2: Oh my gosh, it was a crazy time. When I look back at pictures of my time at the Yellowstone Club, I'm like, I drank that? <laughs> like, I wish I understood, because at the time I was like, Burgundy, cool, just knock it back. And now I look at pictures and I'm like, ugh. (laughs) I was just like shooting back crazy things every day. Um, It was wild. I mean, we work with the top wines of the world there. I mean, we're pouring DRC, Petrus, all these things pretty regularly. And it was a great way to get into wine by working with some of the best wines in the world. And it really just threw me off the deep end. But now when I look back, I'm like, dang, I wish I knew more. But then it's kind of silly to think that because in that moment, I knew that I enjoyed that wine for what it was and it felt special. And I think that's all that matters because we put all these names and labels and price tags around wine. Like it's such a social status symbol. But all that matters in that moment is if, did it make you happy? And did it bring someone else great pleasure and joy? and Wow, I think I'm not answering your questions you're at
1: all. T- you're t- you're totally. No, this is perfect. You're, you're doing great. This is awesome. Can
2: you tell I work with Maggie? <laughs> I
1: can tell you work with Maggie. Yes. Happy and joy do come up a lot when you talk to Maggie. Um, so then, uh, what about the process of of learning the people hmm. and f- and finding what they want? How do you how do you get to know someone and get to know their tastes and be able to offer them sort of the next thing?
2: I kind of had to dig really hard at first because the Yellowstone Club is a place where it's really big names. It's like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Leonardo DiCaprio, all those guys are members there. So it's, it's a very, very private place. So all these members really like having someone there long-term that really knows them and they are really interested in relationships. So having someone new come to them recommending something is a really daunting thing. So a lot of people were really cold towards me at first. I really had to like dig and just ask them, i just walk up to the table every night and just kill them with kindness, like really just keep trying to have that conversation over and over again, ask what they're drinking, why they like it, just, you just gotta dig in there as deep as you can. So eventually some people came around and started to like me and I was able to make these relationships and then you eventually make friends because they're really interested in having someone there that, like, they'd call me the night before, like, hey Kate, you know we want to drink this tomorrow could you decant this like 24 hours before and then we'll come in so it's just it eventually progressed to some friendships and some people that I really care about and I hope that we stay friends forever Mm -hmm. but I think just having to put your ego aside and accept that you're going to embarrass yourself a lot like I embarrassed myself a lot I still embarrass myself every day oh my gosh all the time But I think just putting that aside and just putting yourself really aggressively out there, even if it's really uncomfortable, was key for me. Mm -hmm. Just being unafraid of what they thought or what anyone was thinking. Just kind of just got to be a bulldozer,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. especially as a young woman in wine. Mm -hmm. Not a bulldozer in a bad way. I mean like a respectful bulldozer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take a sip of wine.
1: I can probably say we never heard the term "respectful bulldozer" before. Thanks, that's that's fantastic. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so then, you mentioned we talked about you talked about confidence uh, quite a bit, and that's an interesting it's an interesting. I was an interesting time in your life and time in your <laughs> career, um, commanding a room like that with those with those kinds of people in it, those kinds of wines. Uh, by the end, did you feel fairly comfortable in that environment?
2: Really comfortable. It was such a beautiful transition for me, like coming out of school and being really lost, you know, going through the classic breakups where you kind of lose a little bit of yourself, like all those really great 21, 22 year old things you go through. By the end of it, I felt like I was becoming myself and I felt really comfortable with who I was. But I would say that didn't really happen fully until I went back to Italy. But yeah, by the end of the club, it felt really great. I, uh, I really miss that feeling, like I miss working a restaurant floor because you just kind of transform, you feel like a different person. Mm
1: -hmm. So what prompted the decision then to go back to school?
2: Oh gosh, when I first graduated my undergrad, my parents and I argued and argued about, they were like, you have to go get a master's now, because then you're never going to go back to school. We had that whole classic argument, but I was like, no, I'm going to go work first and get some experience, and then I'm going to circle back if this is actually what I want to do and get a master's, which in retrospect, that was a great decision. Because then I went into my master's knowing I was going to do wine. And I think I would honestly recommend that to any college graduate, is to just go work in your field for a few years. At least it worked for me. And then circle back, and if that's what you want to do, then continue that master's. Because then you'll go into it more clear and with some experience.
1: And why did you choose the program you did?
2: (laughs) Honestly? A master's degree for 8,000 euros is pretty cheap and you get to live in Italy and I just really missed Italy. I knew whatever was going to happen, I was going to end up back in Italy. So I have to be honest, I didn't really care what it was. I was just like kicking and screaming trying to get back. (laughs) So it turned out to be a great program, but it was an English-speaking Master of Science in Viticulture and Enology and it was great. It was a year and a half, you do a six-month internship at the end and it's very affordable compared to university in America. Mm-hmm. So
1: so at that time as you're going back to school and you're focusing in on wine, did you have long-term thoughts at that point? Did you have sort of aspirations for after school?
2: I did. I thought maybe I'd want to make wine or be an enologist. I was really curious about working in the vineyard because I felt kind of like a fraud as a sommelier. Like you do, you're working the floor, you're telling all these stories, but if you don't actually understand how wine's made and what that work is like in the vineyard and the cellar, it feels like imposter syndrome all the time. Like how can I be telling these people all of these great things about wine but not actually have done that work. So I really wanted to experience that work. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll be an enologist. And then after it, I was very clear. I'm not meant to be an enologist. I'm not smart enough for that. I'm not talk-talk-handy. Like, I'm good at the floor, and it was good because I came out more clear of my future. But I'm glad I did it because that theoretical base and that deeper understanding of the chemistry of wine, I think will help me through my career now. But honestly, the internship was the best part. I think just doing the work, like the mundanity of every day and just doing that thing right in front of you and just taking it one step at a time was beautiful. My time in the vineyard with Queen for those six months was honestly the best time of my life.
1: It's an interesting interesting perspective that you enjoyed it so much and then also knew that it really wasn't what you kind of wanted to keep doing. So at the end of the internship, um, what was your sort sort of initial reaction to the work you've done?
0: I
2: loved it, it was really hard. I respect anyone who works in the vineyard, in the cellar, that is really gritty work, and those people are really tough. And I'm so glad I did it, I really loved it, but I just realized my strength is more working the floor and doing hospitality and having that conversation with people. So I kind of just decided I need to play with my strength because if I went back into the cellar, I would have kind of had to backtrack all that work I'd done and progressing in my sommelier career. Maybe in the future, I'd love to have a little side project of sorts, but I just don't think it's for me. <laughs> I'm just not that tough.
1: <laughs> so what happens next after after, after you graduate the master's?
2: I worked at Quintarelli, which is a beautiful, very inspiring and influential wine in the Valpolicella Hills. Um, I was kind of drawn back there because I went to high school in Vicenza, Italy, which is in the Veneto. It's very close to Verona. It's only about an hour away. And My best friend Sara is from Valpolicella, so I used to go down there like on weekends and stay in her villa with her and her family, and it was a really beautiful time in my life. And then when I graduated school, I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll go to Piedmont or Tuscany and work for like a really big you know famous winery or something in one of these places but in the end my heart just took me straight back to the Veneto I just I missed it so much and a side tangent actually before I left for Italy Maggie and I Skyped and we talked about a few producers that really inspire her from around the world and one of the producers that we talked extensively about was Quintarelli and so she kind of planted that seed in my brain before I even went to Italy and I think the whole time it was there and I was thinking about it and then December 1st when I got to school, I went to Queen Fidelity and I, I begged. I was like, I'll do anything. I want to work here. Please, for love of God. They'd never had an intern before, like never had someone come in and work in the cellar and they definitely thought I was crazy. They still think I'm crazy. But eventually they said yes and it only took like three months of me being like, please, please. Um, they said yes, yes and um, it was beautiful. I'm so sorry. I forgot your question.
1: I have as well. Actually, you, 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 you were talking about kind of like next steps after graduation, but you brought up Maggie there. How did you become acquainted with her?
2: I met Maggie when I was working at the Yellowstone Club. Um, she came out and worked a wine dinner with me, and we'd bring winemakers din- wine in from around the world and do dinners with them, and I just totally fell in love with her right when I met her. She tells this story. I don't remember. I think I blacked out because I was so nervous. Um, I remember none of this, but she tells this story. Apparently I met her and I went up to her after our like wine dinner and I was like can I interview you tomorrow morning? Like can we have coffee? So I guess we went and had coffee. I kind of remember this but again blackout. So nervous. I was fangirling. Um, She says I brought a notebook to the interview and I had a bunch of questions kind of like you lined up for her and I sat there and just wrote for an hour and we just stayed in touch. I totally loved her. Um, A few months later she invited me out to come to her Beauty school uh, that June of 2019. It's a it's basically a camp where she brings 10 sommeliers from around the country and treats them to the most magical three days of their life. There's fishing, foraging, rock gathering, lots of drinking, great things, unicorn wines. I look back at the pictures and I'm like, oh, why don't I remember everything? But. Yeah, I just fell in love with her, and I met her, and we've kind of stayed in touch since then. So I always knew I wanted to work for her. I thought it would be maybe further down the road. I was always thinking, you know, maybe in my 30s when I want to settle down and work like a 9 to 5, I'll work for Maggie. But I just got lassoed in uh, at 26, so, which is great, 25. Yeah, so.
1: Well, tell us about how that happened. You're you're in Italy. How do you you find your way back?
2: Yeah, um, I was really set on staying in Europe. I had staged at a three Michelin star restaurant in Milan, and it wasn't really for me, it was just a little bit too. And then I wanted to work at restaurant Gordon Ramsay, but my British visa was gonna have a lot of issues due to Brexit, so I was feeling a little bit stuck, like, well, I don't really know what to do. I don't really want to go back to America, but I think I have to, because also as a young person in Europe, it's really hard to make money. That's why everyone in Italy lives at home forever. But that job posted, I believe, in October and I was leaving in December and I just sent Maggie an email and a very long, groveling, heartfelt, vulnerable email asking for the job and then that's, that's it. I never lived in Oregon before. I didn't really have a huge, if I'm honest, I didn't have a huge interest in living here. I'm very much a sun child so, Maggie's really the only person that I would have moved to Oregon for. It wasn't really on my radar and it wasn't a place I saw myself, but only for Antiqua Terra, Yes.
1: So, had you seen Antiqua Terra at that point? I had. Okay.
2: I'd been out to visit three times.
1: Okay. What were your impressions of the Oregon wine industry?
2: I was really interested in it. I mean, when I was working at the club, that was really a big buzz at the time. People were really interested in drinking Oregon wine. The club went to the barrel auction every year and would buy. So that was really big for our members to drink something close-ish to Montana. So yeah, I I was really intrigued. I loved how small the community was and how close-knit everyone was. And I love how rustic it still is. And I hope that doesn't come across strong. Like when you go to Napa or Bordeaux or anywhere else, it's very like Grandois and chateaus everywhere and it's very elegant and that's great, but wine innately is not elegant. I mean, it's really like dirt of the earth people doing dirt of the earth things and making something beautiful out of that. So I like Oregon because it's just like honest, hardworking people just doing the damn thing.
1: So describe, t- tell me what the, the, the job as you understood it was that Maggie was hiring you for and tell me about sort of getting started with it.
2: I had no idea. I just knew she was hiring and I was like, I'll do whatever you want me to. I don't care. <laughs> I'll work in the cellar. I'll break everything. <laughs> I'll I'll rumble around. I'll make messes everywhere. Like I had no idea. I just saw a hospitality ambassador and that word is... That definition is really broad, so I had no idea what that meant. I was like, hospitality. I work in hospitality. Ambassador. I don't really know what I'm an ambassador of, but I'll try. Uh, whatever you need me to do. Um, yeah, I just I I love Maggie's philosophy and the philosophy of Anticaterra of showcasing wines from around the world and pouring them with an equal hand to the wines of Anticaterra because I don't personally have interest in working in a tasting room. I am a sommelier, and I'm very interested in pouring the wines of others and the work and the stories of others from around the world. So I think that really excited me about Antiquaterras because we're changing this flight every two to three days. We have a 4,000 bottle cellar of non Anticaterra wines. It's literally like a mini restaurant, just 9 to Mm 5. And Maggie has great taste. I mean, she collects, and mine, not so humble opinion on this. And I think most Malays would agree. It's one of the most beautiful sellers in the world. So again, here I am. I forgot your question, but.
1: Just about getting started. Tell me about, it. I mean, this is, this is all great. It's like great background for it. What was the job that you ended up doing? What it, what it, how, did it, how did it kind of end up manifesting itself?
2: The job I'm in now? Yeah. yeah um basically we bring guests in for a tasting and we have a flight of eight wines as our base tasting and only three of these wines are antique terra the other five are wines that inspire us from around the world and we change this flight every two to three days so we have a great beverage director who's really selecting the finest wines from around the world and then art and i are just carrying out service and it's It's a beautiful environment to be in. Maggie and Tynan come up to us all the time and ask, hey, what are you studying right now? What are you interested in? And magically enough, the next week I come in and those wines are on a pallet or on the table. Like, they're really supportive of our studies and what we're curious about. So it's a really great environment to foster curiosity. Um, Yeah, I feel like I'm just working a normal sommelier job. I'm just um, pouring lots of different wines that we really like and telling those stories and telling the story of Antiqua Terra next to them.
1: So I'm um, curious about the story of Antiqua from your perspective. What is it you want to get across to people about the work being done there? And how do you sort of go about getting that message across?
2: Oh, Maggie, don't listen to this. <laughs> hmm. The story of Antiqua Terra, I think, is just I have to think about that. I think just being fearless. If you look at Maggie's story of going to work at Senequanon and never had made wine in her life, she just went there and said, hey, I want to work here. And they were like, who are you and have you made wine? She says no. I mean, I think it's just asking for what you want and moving forward in a fearless manner and working at a place where there's not really like a boundary where. There's a lot of freedom in our work where Maggie's like, what do you want to pour? What do you want to do? Like, how can we be better and how can we be higher? And what would feel best to all of us and what feels best in hospitality? Like, there's no questions asked. If someone, if you, if you want to pour something for someone or make someone's experience beautiful in a different way, there's not really questions around that. It's just do it and then we'll figure it out afterwards. So we have a lot of freedom to create beautiful experience to people which feels strange at first because there's not really lanes and it can be easy to go outside of those lanes. Like I've definitely gone outside of my lanes multiple times and like it's been a really steep learning curve for me but now that I'm settling into this freedom and never really being told no, it's exciting.
1: Tell me about the, the people who are your guests, so who, 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 who are you serving, what have you kind of learned about the people there and what do you kind of sense what what they want to get from the experience?
2: I think most people don't know they're going to walk into a garbage can in Dundee, Oregon. Um, I think it's, I think people don't really have a baseline of expectation when they walk in, which is beautiful because I think. You know when you're going to a really nice dinner and you look up the menu online before and you like look up everything about it and you have these like huge expectations, you're like I already know what I'm going to get. In Antiqua it's not really like that. Like from the moment you pull up and see the outside, which for those of you who haven't seen the outside, please come by anytime, it's great. <laughs> um, when you walk in, it's, that expectation kind of has to fall away because maybe that menu you saw online, it's probably different now. We change this flight every two days. So, I think people are really confused, but then at the end of it, they're like, what just happened to us? Like, I think it can feel really overstimulating for a lot of people because there's so many wines and so many new things happening to them at once. But I think a lot of people leave with more of an excitement and inspiration to maybe try something they haven't tried before or not reach for the same bottle every time they go in the supermarket like get out of that comfort zone a little bit and just try new things. So, I mean, we get everyone. We get bachelorette parties, like people who are really new in wine. We get sommeliers, people in the industry. I mean, it's a really diverse crowd, but it seems that people are really receptive to the idea of showcasing the work of
1: others Mm -hmm.
2: and not just your own.
1: What about from your perspective then? You mentioned sort of hospitality. You've been doing hospitality for a long time. What does, it, what is it, what does hospitality mean to you and, and what does it mean to you? H- has that meaning changed at Anticatera?
2: Yeah. Um, my biological mother is Italian and she is like the life of the party. She's really loud, she was really warm, and anytime she'd walk into a room, Her presence was very known, and I think it's just that warm, comfortable presence. And I think I always wanted to be like that. Like, that was something that I strived to be like. And I think hospitality is her or anyone that makes you feel that way. Like, anyone that is asking you, what do you need in this moment? How can I make your day better? Like, what is the thing that I can do for you? it's going to turn this around. Because like, look, we're not curing cancer, of course. Like, it's not the most, quote unquote, noble of job. Like, my sister's a nurse. She's saving lives every day. I am so far from that. But I think if you think about the end of your day, or your day in general, everyone's always looking forward to who they're going to drink that bottle with, who you're going to have that meal with. And I think we should center more of our lives around those moments that just make you feel really nice. And I think that's what hospitality is. It's just what can you do for someone in that moment that makes them feel the most nice and send them off into the world, like, feeling better. And then it's like a domino effect. Just make someone's day better. Because, you know, oftentimes in restaurants or anything, you get people at the end of their work day and maybe it's been a really stressful day or really hard. You never know what people are going through. And sometimes you can feel when you walk up to the table, it can feel really tense and, like, you can just see in someone's face like it hasn't been the best day so I think it's just in that moment about what can I do even if it's not a lot to fix it not even fix it just make it
1: better mm-hmm.
2: even if briefly that was a really long answer about hospitality
1: it was a fantastic. Danny Meyer would
2: just say service is a monologue, hospitality is a dialogue and I think that's probably a better answer
1: well, it's interesting that you know all, all the parts of the work you've done have been about that dialogue and have been about like getting to know people and like you say, and then figuring out what they need and, and how and how to give to them. So this is just a natural extension, like you say, of the work you've already done. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, we've I kind of want to back up to the timeline here. You got hired at Antequera when?
2: In like November of twenty twenty one. Okay. And then I got here in December. So seven months ago, roughly.
1: So in that time, that now that you're kind of you're in Oregon, you're in, you're around the industry. What have your what other kind of perceptions have you had of Oregon wine? And uh, have you have you started to kind of get to know the industry in a different way?
2: If I'm being really honest, I haven't gotten out as much as I would like to to meet with other people. I really should. I um. Honestly, it feels even a bit silly to be sitting here talking about wine for me, like when there's so many other things going on in the world right now. And I feel really ashamed that I haven't gotten out to go meet more people in this short time. I've kind of just been focusing on my mental health and doing what feels best on my days off right now, just because there's a lot happening in the world the last few months, all the time, but it just feels really heavy right now. so. I don't know if I'm the best person to ask about Oregon wine. Um, I don't think I have a really strong idea and I don't think I have a very weighty opinion on that. I think what's happening here is really beautiful and there's a lot of potential and everything that I have tasted has been really surprising. The people are really wonderful, it's smaller than I thought in some ways it's more close-knit than I realized and I really like it but I honestly I don't know a lot outside of that
1: totally fair it's a lot going on yeah so actually I want to back up and talk about that a little bit um, uh, we've been talking to people about 2020 of course and the, sort of the ramifications thereafter uh, tell me about uh, your sort of reflections march of 2020 uh up to now uh, that the the sort of immediate reactions as the world started to change and uh some of the things that you've had to, to sort of adjustments you've had to make changes you've had to make to get through to now
2: i was living in italy through the whole pandemic um it was not an easy time i think there's been a lot of bad that's happened the last few years but then also a lot of good i think For me personally the pandemic forced me to be alone and become more introspective and focus on what do i need as a human to be functional and happy and be okay sitting in this space with myself so for me the pandemic was equally beautiful as it was really hard so i don't know i hope that other people had a similar experience like taking the time to slow down i think was a big thing i think coming back to america has been really shocking for me in this way. Like, the fast-paced and the aggressiveness of everything feels heavy sometimes. Like, the constant need to move up in your career and get things done. And I just, like, I hope that people felt that slowness during the pandemic and time to hang out with people you love and smell wine and, like, eat nice things. And I hope everyone applies a little bit more of that to their daily life. I hope that more people found peace in that slowness because I think that brings back to hospitality like maybe that slowness you felt during the pandemic of sitting inside cooking a very long meal that you normally wouldn't have cooked and opening a bottle of wine and actually like drinking it and hanging out. I hope that that is applied more because I think that's a really deep part of hospitality is like taking that moment so hope that everyone does that a lot more. Including myself.
1: So, as you mentioned, just just getting started here and, and dealing, obviously, dealing with a lot in, in the world right now. What are you looking ahead to for yourself? Uh, what what sort of down the road are you looking? Uh, are you looking forward to are goals you have or uh, new projects? And uh, what, sort of what comes next, if anything?
2: <laughs> a lot of things. Um- First, I would, I mean, right now I'm working on my advanced sommelier exam, so I think that's like really the first step for me is to pass that. And sometimes it feels silly because the certification doesn't really mean that much. Like, okay, I have a master's degree on a piece of paper, it says I should be able to make wine, but my god, if you put me in a winery and set me free, tanks are gonna explode, things are gonna break. Like, no. But I think going for the certification is setting myself to a higher standard and forcing me to study. Because if I don't have something to study for, I'm not gonna do it. So I think right now, that's where I'm at. I'm just trying to study and get through this and have it under my belt to move forward in the industry and maybe have more opportunity for myself. Um, But my sister and I actually, my sister is really brilliant and her and I want to have a vineyard together in England. That's kind of my future goal. Um, I think that England is kind of the future of sparkling wine in the face of climate change. I think there's really a lot of potential. And I think it would be a great time to get in now before it blows up. I mean, look at Oregon in the last 25, 30 years, it's just exploded. So that's really the big, big, big future goal that who knows if it's going to happen, but I would love to see, I would love to see us try. Mm So we're going to England at the end of this year to um, scope out some land. but
1: That's awesome. Yeah. That's an awesome that's goal. That's like
2: the large goal.
1: <laughs> that's all. Uh, you mentioned sort of the, the, <clears throat> the, the studying and kind of the, the en- endless education for yourself. Do you feel that that's something that will always be part of what you're doing? Do you, or do you feel like there's a point where you'll reach where you'll be like, I've learned all I want to know about wine?
2: Oh, I'm sure. You can never know everything changes every year. It's impossible. So I think to get to a point where you think you don't need to learn anymore working in wine is maybe the point that I shouldn't work in wine anymore because it's just going to change every year. So maybe not study as aggressively as I am now, but I'd love to be involved in education for as long as I'm working in the wine industry and maybe after.
1: You talked earlier about sort of in your, from your experience the, the, the importance of working in the industry before sort of diving into higher education and/or more higher education. Than it. Uh, what other sort of advice or words of wisdom would you have for people interested in, in getting into the wine industry?
2: Oof, words of wisdom? <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> um, I think that just committing to a goal for yourself is really important. Like for me, it just. Personally, I need to have something to study for to do it. Like I need to have a higher goal to push myself to do the thing and put in that work and time. So I'd say that and just start reading wine books and make index cards for yourself and taste with people who are better tasters than you. And don't be afraid to embarrass yourself because you're going to embarrass yourself every single time. But you just have to like push your ego aside and say what you think about the wine. Be unafraid and just taste people who are better than you. and. All those things will come with time. I think it's just putting yourself out there and being a little bit uncomfortable.
1: That's all the questions that I have for you. Uh, Anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything you'd like to cover?
2: I don't think so. Awesome.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story, sharing your time with us, offering some great advice. And we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks,
0: everyone.